Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hey y'all, some exciting news before we dive into this episode. The Minimalists are going to host a private podcast and live stream exclusively for our Patreon supporters. We're calling this Ask the Minimalists Anything. Anyone who contributes $2 or more over at our Patreon page can attend this special live stream. And if you can't make the live stream itself, the live session, the live podcast, don't worry. You'll still have access to the private video and the private audio podcast after it's recorded. We hope to do this at least once a quarter, maybe more frequently for our Patreon supporters. And please note that none of the money from our Patreon campaign goes to our personal bank accounts. Rather, what we're going to do is use these funds to build our own new podcast studio and a film studio, which is going to allow us to do a bunch of really cool things like take live callers on the air, improve overall audio quality, and bring guests on the show. We're also going to hire a full-time filmmaker to create a video version of this podcast. And we also want to produce a bunch of other meaningful video creations like web series, TV shows, interviews, documentaries, video essays, and more. And because we refuse to clutter our podcast with advertisements, Patreon really is the best way for us to fund these creative endeavors together. So let me ask you this. Are you willing to help? If so, please become a patron today. Head on over to patreon.com slash the minimalists, or you can go to our website. It's just theminimalists.com and click on the donate button at the top. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And please know that your support is greatly appreciated. Together, we will create something meaningful. Live from the House of Blues in Cleveland, Ohio, my name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus. Hello, Cleveland! Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. We have a microphone right here, and we welcome your questions. You, you know what? Uh, oh, they're actually running up to it this time. This is great. <laughs> this is actually the best time to ask questions, because we do like a hug line afterward, but we can't ask, answer five or six hundred questions in a, in a row tonight. So this is the best time to come up and ask your questions now. Uh, we've been on the road for a few months now. This is the halfway, this marks the halfway point. We get a two-month break after this, which is really nice, but it has been outstanding. This is the end of the first leg, and what a great place to end it here in Ohio. You know, Josh makes that joke about, like, that's what you do when you live in Ohio as you move, but we freaking love Ohio, yeah. So, <laughs> Anyone from Young's, Youngstown here tonight? Nice. What about Akron? Anyone from Canton? <laughs> nice. Welcome, welcome to all of you. Um, yeah, where, where? Griffin House. Yeah, yeah. He's one of my favorite musicians. He's, he's, he'll be playing with us in uh, Nashville later this year. Yes. Um, yeah. So we, we have been all over Ohio. Uh, we're from Dayton, Ohio, originally, and um, we just had three tour stops: uh, Cincinnati, Columbus, and now we're ending it here in Cleveland. Uh, for those of you listening at home, if you want to see us out on tour, we still have 21 more stops this year. We're headed to Canada. We're headed to a bunch of other places. 
all throughout the, uh, the United States, down south, east coast, west coast, mountains, and everywhere in between. Find the cities at lessisnow.com. Howdy, what's your question? And what's your name, actually? My name is Paige. I'm from Geneva, about an hour east from Cleveland. You mind turning that mic down just a little bit? Yeah. You can just, there you go. Beautiful. Hello, is that better? Yeah. Okay. Paige? Hi, yeah. Um, so my question is, I, um, I'm a minimalist in training, I guess. Um, and I'm into the love languages, so um, meeting people and working with people, um, knowing that they like words of affirmation or um, gift giving or uh, physical touch, things like that. So um, as a minimalist in training, um, when I see someone or meet someone who enjoys receiving gifts, physical gifts, um, What's your opinion on that? Um, feeding their love language with that, um, but not enabling like the stuff, right? I, I, What's think your it's a I think it's a fair question, and I think we get confused. I, when we think of gift giving, we often think of uh, the, the most parodic exaggeration or example of it is like the car commercial with the bow on the car. Look, I love you, I just went into $60,000 worth of debt to prove it. And so that's sort of like one type of gift giving, I suppose. I think that type of gift giving is a romance language, the same way that pig Latin is a romance language, like kind of thing, right? Or, or, or that kind of gift giving is a love language, like pig Latin is a romance language, I should say. Because when I look at, at what people mean by gift giving, it doesn't have to be gifting an obligatory physical item. What we mean by gift giving is contribution. What we mean by gift giving, think about why you actually give a gift to someone. There's two reasons usually. One is, oh shit, I'm obligated to do this. <laughs> it's your birthday, it's Valentine's Day, it's Christmas, it's sweetest day. <laughs> it's uh, flag day is right around the corner. <laughs> and, and, and so we, we, what we do is we like, feel obligated. like. Oh crap, tomorrow's Christmas and there's like seven stores open now and um, I better hurry up and find something before they all close because that sense of obligation. And that, is, that means we've really been enculturated and it becomes this cultural imperative to say, here, I gave you this shiny widget and what shiny widget did you give me so I can compare my love to your love? That's not why you really want to give gifts. The other reason you want to give gifts is far more noble and far more important. It's because you want to add value to someone else's life. I don't think we can commodify love. And so you don't want to give a gift to show someone you love them. You give a gift because you care about someone and you want to add value to their life in some way. You think it's going to augment their experience of life. And so that word experience is key. I go out of my way when I am giving gifts to do three things. One is I try to gift experiences whenever possible. Uh, and sometimes that means gifting it through a physical medium. I'll give you an example. I have a four-year-old now. And even if I'm going to gift, uh, well, here's an example. Uh, Bex, my partner, um, and her are, uh, Ella are out there um, paddle, stand-up paddleboarding today. And instead of just like taking her there, she'll like go get you know, rent the stand-up paddleboard and present it to her as a gift, even though she's really gifting the experience and renting this, this stand-up paddleboard. And, and that's one way to show, hey, we're having an experience together. Here's the, the physical object that represents that, as opposed to just buying a thing. Uh, the second thing I'll try to do is give consumables whenever possible. So a really great bag of coffee or a bottle of wine, a meal, an experience, some sort of shared, shared consumable that we can have together. And the third thing I try to do is 
is I avoid the, those obligatory gift-giving holidays. Now, I get that some of you, you feel so obligated, you're going to go out and, and uh, you know, uh, for the birthday and for Christmas, whatever. I think that's fine. But, you know, today is, what, June 25th? And it'd be much easier to go up to someone and say, hey, here, I got this, these, these concert tickets for you, Ryan. And he's going to think, like, wait, today's June 25th. What, what the hell is today? Why did you get these for me? Oh, because I thought they'd add value to your life. And because I care about you, I want to add value to your life in some way. So I really hope you enjoy it. And, and I think if I do that, that, it's much more meaningful because he didn't have an expectation for a gift that day. And so... When those expectations are gone, it feels a lot more meaningful. Yeah, my, uh, I think my mom, I don't think she would say like gift giving is one of her love languages, but she absolutely loves gifts. And you know, I don't, <clears throat> I, I, uh, I totally agree. Like give gifts when they're not on holidays, but I'm not opposed to giving gifts on holidays, like especially Mother's Day. Like my mom, if, <laughs> if I didn't send her some flowers or some chocolates on Mother's Day, like she would have her feelings hurt. And I'm not going to hurt her feelings uh, uh, because I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't want to uh, uh, give a gift on a holiday. So if it means a lot to that person, like I will absolutely go out of my way to give that person a gift. And, and it you, does and, make. It does make. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And you, you don't think it's an unreasonable expectation? Either. Like if she expected flowers and chocolate from you three times a week, you'd be like. And she was like, and if you don't give me flowers and chocolate three times a week, my feelings are going to be hurt. You'd, you'd say, well, that's an unreasonable expectation. Right, sure. And it doesn't have to be flowers or chocolate. It's just, it's, it, it could be a phone call. It could be a gift of me just spending time with her and, or, or uh, bringing her out to Montana or something like that. Um, but I, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, uh, yes, I don't love to go out and buy physical items, but if there is something that someone needs, like my little sister, um, you know, a few years ago, she was, it was summer, she's going to start school. She's like, man, I really need some jeans. And it was, it was her birthday. And I, it just happened to be her birthday. I'm like, it's your birthday today. I'll, let's go get you some jeans. Great. And she really, really appreciated that. I think that if someone's love language is gift giving, which I would agree with Josh, like it's, because if you bought someone a tie clip and they didn't wear ties, like, that's not really love. Like, that's, that's silly. Um, but, but yeah, it, it definitely uh, challenges you a little bit more to be deliberate with the gifts, especially when you're an aspiring minimalist. Which, by the way, don't tell anybody, but I'm still kind of trying to be a minimalist. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, there, no, there is no end, end to it. Um, I still have a junk drawer. I don't have, you know, two junk drawers or three junk drawers. When that junk, when that first drunk, drunk drawer? <laughs> oh, what would Freud say? <laughs> when that first junk drawer starts to overflow, like, I don't come up with junk drawer number two. Like, I will go through that stuff and clear it out. Um, but back to the gift giving thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that people really, really, some people really, really enjoy is getting a gift. Um, before I, I left Cincinnati, uh, I, I got my mom a few gift certificates to, uh, for massages. Non-obligatory day, surprised her with them. She was totally ecstatic. Um, so yeah, I, I would say, yes, as a minimalist, um, it's definitely a little bit more, maybe a little bit more challenging uh, to show that person 
um, that not, not that you love them with a the gift, but that you respect them and you respect what they want and, and what they and what they um, what they find valuable, I guess. Um, but it doesn't mean that you have to just you know cut it off and say, "I'm sorry, I'm a minimalist. I don't buy stuff for people." I mean, that's that's not how it works. <laughs> Howdy. Hi. What's your name? Um, I'm Leah. I wanted to start by saying thank you. You guys have added a lot of value to my life. Um, I'm 20 Thanks. years old, and I discovered y'all in March. Where are you from? Um, okay, Tampa, Florida, P Portland, Maine, and um, wait, what's it? Uh, Mooresville, North Carolina. <laughs> Welcome. But currently Portland. Yes, thank you. Um, I am here visiting my good friend Audrey in uh, Ohio. But anyway, um, so anyway, I. Yeah, thank you. My question is, um, oh, also, I'm so, I'm so dedicated to minimalism that I decided to cut my hair shorter than Ryan's. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It was a style choice, but I that's just good. wanted to tell you that. No, that's good. Um, so <laughs> anyway, my question is, as a 20-year-old, I feel like you guys give a lot of advice on like, how to, like, to kind of break it to your spouse that you're a minimalist. But like, I don't have a spouse yet. Um, I don't want one right now. But if I'm like looking for... <laughs> a partner um, and I want to like let someone know that I'm a minimalist or that I don't really like that word because it's kind of aggressive but like that I want to live a meaningful life do you know what I mean um, with less then how do I go about you know what word do you like <laughs> um, well it's like it's kind of like being a vegan like if you're a vegan you you, you don't want to say I'm a vegan you just say like I eat plant-based diet because it's right. aggressive you know so if, like I like <laughs> Because I am a vegan, but I'm not a vegan. I don't say that. So, um, <laughs> um, I guess I was like saying. You could, I guess you could say I'm on a consumption diet. <laughs> yeah. So, so here. So, I mean, there, I'll give you a few words, but what I'll say is you don't even need a label. If you feel like you need one, that's fine. Uh, I, uh, Ryan and I are the minimalists because the domain was seven dollars and ninety nine cents. <laughs> And if you need a different word, uh, to me, minimalism was a great word because it was so sort of subversive and in your face at first. And it, it conjured these images of sort of stark white walls and, and, and aggressively simple. And I think I've kind of needed that personally. Like I needed to be shook a little bit and say, what the hell are you doing with your life? But I also realize that's not appropriate for everyone. So I think there are some other words, some softer words. You could say simplicity. You can say intentionalism. You can say deliberatism. You could say essentialism. I heard someone say thoughtful over here. That's a good one, too. Yeah, yeah. Thought, thoughtful is, is, is thoughtful. Yeah. Um, and and w what I'll say is you're at a good place right now because you're asking this question not when you're you know, many years into your relationship like I, I was, realizing that my values didn't align with my partners. And I actually had, when I was married, my spouse, um, we, she was a great person. We even had similar interests to each other, which really clouded things because we didn't have the same values. And I think it's important. And so eventually when it comes time for you to look for a partner or just to date someone in, in general, I think it's important to figure out what their values are 
but first you have to be really clear on what your values are, okay? And, and Ryan and I often talk about the four different types of values. I'll run through them really quickly for those of you. We also did a whole podcast episode called Values you can go back and listen to. But uh, the, the foundational values are, I think, pretty much the same for everyone. And you can add or subtract, but there's five of them. We wrote about it in our first book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. Health, relationships, passion, or what you could call creativity, growth, and contribution. Those are the, the foundation of living a meaningful life. And I think if, any, if we're ever feeling discontented, it's because we don't feel like we're fulfilling all five of those values. On top of that, you sort of have your core values to continue the metaphor of the, the foundation. This would sort of be the structure of the house. The, this is what holds your house up. And you'll probably have 10 or 20, you know, a dozen or two dozen uh, core values. And they can be things like, uh, free speech and autonomy and freedom and discipline and sexuality and it, you get to pick what those values are and those tend to be different for everyone but you'll find when you find a partner that they tend to overlap quite a bit and also you'll learn from their values as well sitting down and doing this exercise uh, Bex and I kind of look at our values together once a month and once a year we really try to reassess and say is this still a value and how do I define these and these core values you want to be able to define it within a sentence. Yeah. You should be, your values should be tweetable. And, and that way, you know exactly what they are. I've got about 20, 25 values I've written down. And Beck says something similar. On top of that, you have your minor values, things like aesthetics, or for me, it's coffee. It's a, a minor value. It's not a core value, like can't I do without it? Is it absolute necessity? No, of course not an absolute necessity, but it certainly adds value to my life in, in, in some way. Uh, and in this fourth level, we have these imaginary values and this is where we get caught up we often spend much of our time doing things that we pretend add value to our lives when they don't actually we have to be careful of those to eliminate as many of those imaginary values as possible so they don't get in the way of what's truly important and I think once you understand what your values are you'll be able to start discussing that with other people and figuring out if your values match with theirs yeah I mean at the end of the day um yeah, don't ask, like, if you're on the first date, you don't ask them, like, hey, are you a minimalist by chance? <laughs> it's probably the wrong opening line. Um, and, you know, when I first met my partner, Mariah, I didn't, you know, say, you know, hi, I'm Ryan, I'm, I'm a minimalist. Um, it, <laughs> well, you know, first off, I didn't want to be like, here, check out my website. <laughs> um, but, you know, the other thing, too, is, like, I don't really require... I, I, I didn't require someone to be a minimalist, and she wasn't, but we had, like Josh said, you know, very similar values. Like, that is what I focused on. And when I first was at her house and, like, saw the 80 pairs of shoes that she had and, like, the wall-to-wall closet worth of clothes that she had, um, I didn't judge her for it. But the, what I did think was, okay, if this goes any further and we move into each other, like, this is going to come with her. And I've got to be prepared for that. Like, is this something that I still want to pursue? And at the end of the day, like, yeah, absolutely. Like, we, we got along so well, and I loved her. I respected her. And, you know, I think when you get into a relationship where you truly do love and respect someone, you can get to a point where you appreciate the differences. And when you appreciate someone's differences, like, you're going to support them. Even though maybe it's not exactly what, you know, you would want, now, if I walked into her house and, like, I don't know, like, she was a Satan worshiper or something, like, <laughs> then I would have been, like, 
yeah, that doesn't really align with my, my values and beliefs. Um, you know, this isn't going to work. I mean, there are some things that, that will totally, you know, step on those that you do have to say no to. I don't know why I thought of that. That's the first thing that came to my head. But, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, if, uh, if you meet someone, it's not about even putting a label on what you're trying to do as much as, do you like who that person is? Start there. If you like who they are, then great, go on a second date with them, learn a little bit more about them. And as you get to know someone, these things will start to come out. And then you can kind of decide for yourself if it's something you want to pursue. And, and the, again, like on the first date, you're not going to be like, oh, nice to meet you. I've brought my uh, list of 46 things that are my values. <laughs> um, can you write your list of what your values are for me? I mean, you're not going to figure it out in, in, in one date. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not really, for me, it's not important that someone is a minimalist as much as it is they love and respect me and support me and what I want to do. And it's funny because like over the last, you know, four or five years, Mariah has totally gotten rid of a lot of her shoes and clothes and stuff. I never asked her to get rid of anything. Um, in fact, now I think if I asked her like, do you think you're a minimalist? She probably would say yes, but I don't know like when she like turned that corner um, because for the longest time, she would, she would say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not a minimalist. But after six years of living with me and seeing the benefits, not me hounding her, not me pressuring her, um, she has finally, you know, kind of accidentally become a minimalist. Accidentalminimalist.com. Someone would go and buy that domain right now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's, uh, that's, what the mo that, that's what's more important for me. It's, it's does this person love me? Do they respect me? Do they support me? Do they appreciate who I am? And, and that's, that's what's, for me, is what is important about a relationship. Not just a romantic relationship either, even my friends. Well, thank you, and I wanted to thank you for making me not only a, well, making me a minimalist vegan. Not only a vegan, now a minimalist vegan. It's just like the icing on the cake, honestly, thank you. <laughs> thank you. One other thing, just to add to that really quick, um, your commonality, so shared interests, beliefs and even values, they add connection to a relationship, be it a friendship, intimate relationship, whatever. Uh, differences, especially different beliefs, that they can add passion to a relationship. It's good that ev when everything isn't the same. And the problem with either one is if it's all passion and no, not built on values, then you know, it's, it's a castle made of sand. And if it's all connection but no passion, you get bored pretty quickly. Howdy, what's your name? Hi, I'm Margo. Hey Margo. Nice to meet you. You as nice well, where you. are you from? I'm originally from Michigan, but I just moved to Cleveland in September, and it's treating me pretty well. Thanks Welcome. Cleveland. Welcome. Yeah. This is a pretty great city. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, my, well I have two questions. Someone got away with that in a previous podcast, so I don't know, but, um, from when you start to consider minimalism, to when you get to the point of discovering your passions and all the other things, how do you advise, how do you advise folks to manage the fear that comes with all of that? What are you afraid of? Letting go of things. Why? Because of the attachment associated with them. Why do you have the attachment? It's a counseling session all of a sudden. <laughs> you didn't know that. What's your childhood like? Um, <laughs> No, here, here's, the, here's what I'll tell you, and I'll let you off the hook now, but these are some questions you, you seriously want to dive into. The, um, the, the talk I was giving earlier, some of the questions that I asked there was like, when did I give so much meaning to all this stuff? 
What is truly important in my life? Why have I been so discontented? Who is the person I want to become and how will I define my own success? And those were tough questions. And, and I think minimalism, when I, when I look at minimalism, it's less of an answer and more of a series of questions that provide more questions, actually. And to me, that's a good thing because it's exploration. Minimalism is not the destination. It's not even the path. It's the tool we use to clear the path to get where we're going. And so for me, I had to start asking questions about, ah, oh, thanks. Uh, it's, it was the tool that, that, got, that, that got the excess out of the way. Ryan and I were doing a Facebook Live session recently and some troll popped on there and said, you guys aren't minimalist. You didn't get rid of anything important. To which I responded, you're right, I didn't. And, and so when I think about fear, uh, we've written a few things on our website. Uh, there's a, an essay very early on called How to Make a Damn Decision. And um, it's still one of the more popular things on there. I would, I would encourage you to check that out. But when I, when I think about fear, I think of two questions that come up. What's the worst thing that could happen? Because we all hear this, right? Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, sometimes some really terrible shit can happen, right? <laughs> what if I bungee jump without a bungee cord? What's the worst that could happen? Well, you'll die. Um, but I ask that question because most of the time when I answer that question aloud, it makes me realize how silly my fear is, right? What is the worst that can happen? But then I like to flip it around and I ask myself, what's the best that could happen? And then I realize that usually drastically outweighs the worst that could happen. Good. All right, what's your second question? My second question is, um, you two speak of trying something, even if it means failure. Um, so how do you manage difficult, like negative feedback that you sometimes get, like self-pity, self-doubt, um, that can come with failure? Oh man, I've gotten really good at failing. <laughs> and that's what I would suggest you do. Like, fail your ass off. Like, you know, <laughs> Don't go and take out a million dollar loan and go and like knowing that you're going to declare bankruptcy, but don't let the fear of failure stop you from doing anything. You know, at the end of the day, um, when we, thanks. When we first started the minimalists, uh, man, anytime like anyone gave us any negative feedback, or like an article was written about us that was negative. I mean, I would, I would like, it would just give me anxiety the whole day. If, if you know, if it was a, a comment on Facebook, I would like, you know, craft out a response. And, and you know, now, like I, I'm so used to the critics that I just don't care anymore. Like. At the end of the day, like, it doesn't matter what other people think about me. It matters what I think about me. And like, that is what enables me to fail as much as possible. Because at the end of the day, um, if Josh and I try some, I, we, like, perfect example, last night we were in Columbus, and um, 
Jessica Williams, our wonderful social media lady who's sitting right there. We cannot, we, the reason why our social media looks so great is because of her. So thank you so much, Jessica Williams, for doing everything that you do. And she, and she always has like, she, she's got a really good eye for stuff, really good ideas. And she was like, hey, why don't you guys try a selfie at the end of, at the end of your show? And like, you know, we'll post it and it'll, it'll be fun. Like you'll get the crowd involved. And my first thought was like, I don't know, it seems kind of cheesy, like doing a selfie, but I'm like, you know what? Jess knows way better than I do. <laughs> I was like, let's do it. So like she came on stage, brought us the phone, like we, take, we try to take this selfie. Now imagine trying to take a selfie with all these lights shining on the camera <laughs> and it just didn't work. And it was it kind of like the, the crowd, it kind of lulled a little bit and uh, it was, it failed essentially. <laughs> And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, that's okay. Like, we tried it. Uh, uh, I feel good about it. I learned something from it. Like, that's what I, I, I've learned to really love failure because I, I learn things from it. There, there is an awesome TED Talk out there. Um, I forget, do you remember the gentleman's name who went out and practiced like 100 days of failure? I don't know his name, but um, I know the TED Talk you're talking about. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes for this. Um, uh, for this podcast, but this, this guy essentially, um, saved up enough money to quit his job and he went to his wife and he's like, Hey, we've got enough money to pay the bills for a while. I'm going to quit my job. I want to take six months. I really want to start this, um, new business and see where it goes. And she was like, great. sounds like a good plan. So he quit his job for like the first month, you know, he, he had his business plan got like a, you know, some kind of capital investor, angel investor like involved with it, was really excited about it. They're working through. At the end of month three, like the rug just got swept out from underneath of him. And he was like, oh, well, that sucks. Um, I guess I'm going to go back to work. So he went to his wife. He's like, hey, yeah, this failed, so I'm going to go back to work. And she was like, well, wait a minute. She's like, you said six months. It's only been three months. Like, why don't you take the additional three months and, and see if you can maybe do something else? He's like, yeah, you're right. I probably should. So he'd write more business plans, reach out to people. But he, he would always get to this point where he couldn't really get past that, like, reaching out to folks. Uh, he wasn't nearly as ambitious as what he was when he first, you know, attempted. And he started thinking about it. And he's like, you know, like, I'm really scared of failing again. And then he like, kind of thought to himself, like, this is really silly. Like, why would I be scared of failing? Like, it's, it's, I mean, it was like just this paralyzing fear he had. So he decided to do these 100 days of failure where every single, like he would, he went to, you know, some local hamburger joint. And after he ate his hamburger, like he'd go up to the cashier and he's like, hey, can I have a refill on this hamburger? <laughs> or he um, literally like, waved down a, a, a trooper, like a cop in his car. And the cop's like, what's wrong? What's going on? He's like, oh, nothing, man. He's like, I've just never driven a cop car before. Can, can I drive your car? <laughs> like just really going out of his way, intentionally trying to fail. And uh, I don't want to like spoil the whole talk, um, but it's a really encouraging talk. But what, what, it, what that talk encouraged me to do, which we saw, we actually saw him give the talk at uh, the at WDS uh, in Portland, Maine, that, or I'm sorry, Portland, Oregon, that uh, Chris Gillibo put, uh, puts on every year. I think it was like 20, 
13 is when we went. But regardless, like, seeing that talk in 2013, it totally, like, gave me the courage to, like, not be scared of what other people were going to say. And, you know, when I, when I let myself down, I take that as an indicator that I need to learn something. Um, I don't really... Man, like the self, if I really do, if I really, really screw up, which I do, don't get me wrong, um, and I do have that self pity, it is still like a, oh shit, dude, like don't do that again. Like don't ever do that, you know? So don't, don't let the fear of failure stop you from trying things. No one, no one is going to, no one that matters is going to judge you. At the end of the day, like anyone who kicks you while you're down, like <laughs> they're not your friend anyway. And it, there's no reason for you to even hang out with those people. So your true friends, people that love you, your, your family, if they love you, want you to be happy, like they're going to support you whether you succeed or fail. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, real quick, before we move on to the next question here, for the folks uh, listening to this at home, if you have a comment or a tip for anyone who's asked a question or anyone who's getting ready to ask a question, you can give us a call, 406 406- Two one nine seven eight three nine, or you can send a voice memo right from your phone. Uh, podcast at theminimalists.com. We will air our favorite comments and tips at the end of this episode, as well as at the end of future episodes. Ryan, do you know what time it is? Oh yeah, it is time for our hashtag Ask the Minimalist Lightning Round, where where usually we answer questions from social media, but it'd be really strange if like we were just on our phones up here answering questions from social media. So. We will uh, turn these next few questions into, sh- uh, yeah, short. Well, you can, your question can be as long as you want, I guess. Um, it, but we're going to try to give you uh, pithy, tweetable answers. Usually, Josh and I have about a week to prepare these answers, and now we've got about five seconds. Um, so we might ramble a little bit, but uh, we'll, we'll probably get to a point where we wrap it up into a nice, tweetable, uh, bite-sized answer. So, yeah, you can find us at The Minimalist on all the Twitters and Facebooks and Instagrams and stuff. Uh, so, yeah. Also, Jess live tweets this. So uh, we use the hashtag less is now, which is the name of the tour. And so if you want to check that. Also, if you post any pictures tonight, use that hashtag and we'll reshare some of our favorites. Howdy, what's your name? Hey. Uh, my name's Mary. Hey, Mary. Where are you from? Uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Welcome. Yes. It's a hell of a drive. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, my husband and I were on a road trip. Oh, and we just awesome. kind of awesome. a happy accident that our paths. Very had. cool. Did you drag him here? Yeah, uh. <laughs> well, hopefully you didn't hate it, sir. Yeah. Well, first of all, I've been mesmer. I'm glad I uh, listen to your podcast res- uh, regularly. Can't talk regularly because I have been mesmerized by your fluorescent shoelaces the entire time. Um, <laughs> But this is, it's good that this is going to be a simple answer because I don't really have anything deep or meaningful to uh, add. I just wanted to ask you, we're doing a like holy minimalist pilgrimage through Dayton on our way back home. What is there to do in Dayton other than get gas? Mm. <laughs> so I'll tell you this. <laughs> We've been to 49 states and uh, countless cities at this point over the last uh, six or seven years since we've been doing this. And Dayton, Ohio is still one of my favorite cities in the world. Uh, I mean, there's, there's some like touristy stuff that actually I had to go away from Dayton. I mean, we moved from Dayton like five years ago. 
Um, I just had graduated from, from the city after 31 years. And when I came, it wasn't until I came back that like, I started appreciating a lot of the places I couldn't appreciate from when I was close. So, I mean, you have the Air Force Museum if you really want to see how very quickly we invent something awesome and then turn it into war machines almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> um, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> the Air Force Museum, first off, it's free. And second off, it is like world-renowned. Like, people come from all over the world to see that place. So, uh, it, is pretty, it is pretty insane to see, like, what we as humans can build. It sucks that they're killing machines. Warmonger. But, but there are... <laughs> But there are other things there besides uh, planes that blow stuff up. So that's definitely something to do. I, I think right, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we both have two things here. Uh, some of the best coffee in the country is a press coffee house. So if you're going to get coffee, you've got to stop by there. Ryan? Uh, t- do you like, do you like uh, Thai food? I'm willing to try anything once. Okay. <laughs> well, this is the place to try it. It's called Thai Nine. It's down in the Oregon District. It's really close to Press Coffee, actually. Uh, Josh and I, we joke around a lot, like, oh, we're on, we're on the, you know, Less Is Now tour, slash the coffee tour, slash the, the Thai food tour. And so I've eaten, I've eaten Thai food in 49 states, uh, in countless number of cities, probably seven provinces in Canada. Thai Nine has the best Thai food I have ever had. Even like I've had it in the UK, Australia. Thai Nine is the best Thai food in the world. <laughs> and you have to get, if you're, only, if you're gonna try it once, you have to get Masaman curry. It is like, un, it is unbeatable, Masaman curry. I hope you're writing this down, man. You're really, you're really gonna enjoy this. Um, Man, what else is there? Uh, I'm trying to think of another favorite restaurant. Dayton or something. Art Museum, uh, yeah, DVAC, which is the Dayton Vis- Visual Arts Center, and uh, just walk around downtown. You can, you'll definitely appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. definitely walk around like University Dayton campus too. That's really nice. Yeah, thanks for the question. Definitely, thanks. Thanks. Howdy. Hello. Thank you so much for all that you're doing to add value to everyone's lives. You're um, welcome. What's your name? My name's Heather. I'm from Akron. Oh, welcome. <laughs> Akron is in the house tonight. <laughs> so my question is in response to a recent podcast you put out on hoarding. And I'm doing my dishes at home. I'm listening to your podcast on hoarding. And the two of you had a conversation about the field of curation. <laughs> and You want us to reprise our argument on the stage? <laughs> well, We were just, it's funny because last night in Columbus, uh, we were... This will be the second night in a row we've hashed this out. So, oh. not, not on stage, though. Okay. No, it wasn't on stage. It was in the hug line. Ohio has a lot of museums, so this is why I'm asking for all of us museum professionals. Um, I happen to be a curator full-time, mm-hmm. but I'm also a minimalist in my personal life. And um, through my job, I'm able to tell a lot of incredible stories, add a lot of value to people's lives through exhibitions. And I also manage a collection and um, of thousands and thousands and thousands of things. So I understand that the, the value I'm adding to future generations is huge. But I'm wondering what your advice would be for unifying your personal values with some elements of your professional life that might be in tension with that, even though you recognize how important it is. I do. And so Ryan and I have, have a different opinion on this, apparently. Um, so I, I, I was, It was semantics, but let's go for it. <laughs> Well, let, yeah, let's go for it. Um, so, so, I, so first off, 
I, I was the one who was pro-museums and saying that it wasn't hoarding. And Ryan, just to reprise the argument here, Ryan was saying that museums are hoarding. Um, and, and I so, am for museums, on. by the way. Hold on. Um, and, and, and what I will say is I think amateur collecting is well-planned hoarding. And that's why I leave it up to the experts, because I think curators are the people who can take what would otherwise be a hoard and curate it into something meaningful, intentional, and necessary for current and future generations. Ooh, that's pithy. Yeah. That's good. No, I was arguing over semantics, which is what I do sometimes. Um, what is synonymous with collection? What do, you, what do you always say is synonymous with collection? Synonymous with collection is hoard. Correct. Yes. What, it, what does a museum do? Curates. Right. <laughs> And they have a very nice, they have a nice, you just literally said, I'm using your words. These are your words. <laughs> uh, they have a well-curated collection. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, all I was saying, all I was saying is that when the Library of Congress, they literally take every tweet and keep it, and they should, and they absolutely should keep it for future generations. I was just arguing over semantics. I'm so glad we could hash this out in front of like 400 people, man. <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I think my pithy answer would be, uh, hold on, working. Uh, yeah, processing. <laughs> Buffering. Um, <laughs> unless, unless, unless you are a professional curator, you're probably just hoarding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hello. Hello. My name is Aaron. I'm hey, from Aaron. Cleveland. Welcome. Thank you, sir. Thank um, you. My question is regarding so I'm in my mid 20s. I'm at the time where I'm saving to buy all this stuff, you know? Um, so I guess. What, what stuff are you saving to buy? I mean, it, we're ready to buy our first house. Mostly we're, I guess, thinking about houses, right? Okay, cool. Um, so I guess my question is, what are you guys now saving for or doing with your money? Because mm. if you're not buying stuff, do you travel or like... Josh has a secret place in Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> Full of stuff? Collection of Lamborghinis. <laughs> I have a beach house that's just full of things. <laughs> no. Actually, we're investing in the storage unit business. <laughs> that would be one hell of a twist <laughs> um, so I think it's an important question and, and you know I, I think that um, the question about our resources is, impor is important because Ryan and I certainly aren't allergic to money right I grew up poor and then in my 20s became relatively wealthy and then walked away from that and I, I learned both sides of of like true poverty, like electric being cut off uh, poverty, to um, at least ostensible wealth, right? I had all the trinkets of, of success. The Lexus is Lexi, if you have, <laughs> if you have more than one, I don't know the plural. Um, and uh, I, I had the big suburban house and, and, and the stuff. And, and so I was just sort of 
wasting that resource. I wasn't very deliberate with, with the money that I was earning. I made good money but spent even better money and thus had six figures worth of debt, half a million dollars in debt if you count my mortgage. And um, man, I, I didn't realize at the time, I do it now in the rear view, looking back, like the reason we were unhappy when I was growing up had less to do with the amount of money that we brought in, it had more to do with the repeated bad decisions that were being made. And the odd thing is, as I started making money, it allowed me to amplify those bad decisions. Right. And, and then creditors, they started coming to me and offering me like credit cards and lines of credit. And You'd be stupid not to. Right, right. <laughs> and all then I see the sale, right? It's 50% off. And I'm like, well, now I realize that it's 100% off if you don't buy it. <laughs> and, and so I now, no matter what my resources are, I, I try to find ways to be deliberate with it. And so a few things. One is, yes, I do save. And so if you want to see my personal net worth, you can go to theminimalists.com slash retirement. You can see it down to the penny, minus a few market fluctuations there. Um, it was updated relatively recently. And, and on top of that, what Ryan and I do now is we focus a lot more on contribution, right? So we invest in the people around us. So whether it's Jessica, who we were just talking about earlier, we bring her on the road with us. We pay her to... My mic just changed. Yeah, sounds um, better. Yeah, so uh, we, we pay Jess to do uh, all of our social media. She handles our minimalist.org stuff. Uh, occasionally, she fixes our hair for us. And, um, and then Podcast Sean. Podcast Sean is back there hiding in the shadows, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. We love you, Sean. Sean is our podcast producer. He is a tour manager, he's our operations director, and he is an all-around outstanding guy. Thank you for what you do, Sean. We appreciate you, man. And so it allows us to invest in people like that um, and other people around us as well. You know, we have a web development team and other stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of people behind the minimalists. But on top of that, and just as important, is we find other ways to contribute to either our community or the community worldwide. So I'll give you a few, uh, an example. The first wave of this tour, we donated the profits from that uh, to build an orphanage on the U.S.-Mexico border. And, and so Ryan and I didn't get any of the money from, from that at all. Thank you. And it's not 100% altruistic. Like, it makes me feel really good to be able to do something like that. Uh, but also, it inspires other people to do something similar. Uh, so last month, uh, as another example, uh, have you all heard of the Against Malaria Foundation? Uh, yeah, there's someone, but hopefully now all of you have. And, and so last month we, we were able to donate about $7,500 to save a bunch of lives. Uh, did, did you know that, that um, out of everyone who's ever lived on planet Earth, half of those people have died from malaria? Out of everyone who's ever lived, half of them have died from malaria. And it costs about five bucks for an insecticide-treated mosquito net. And so the Against Malaria Foundation, uh, according to GiveWell.org, is the most effective charity in the world. Uh, they, they have the highest rankings uh, of all nonprofits. And so what we did is, is we reached out to our audience and said, hey, for every review we get on our podcast, which gets our, this word out to more people, 
Ryan and I will personally donate 10 bucks to the Against Malaria Foundation. And then on top of that, we encourage you to also donate on top of that. And then we had a, a secret person donate another $7,500 on top of that and double it up. And so being able to save people's lives that way. We've also built some elementary schools and we've funded high schools. We helped the, uh, there was a terrible tragedy last year in Orlando where the Pulse nightclub got shot up and uh, 49 people died, but 52 people survived were and in, were injured. And so we were able to help those people who were injured from that. We did an event down there and, and donated all the pro uh, profits to that. And so while I said, like I said, Ryan and I aren't allergic to money. There's nothing inherently wrong with money. The question is, when we have access to more of it, what are we going to do with it? That's my pithy part. That was good. Yeah, we've done all that. I, it's awesome. Like, I can, uh, I'm not like, I got to be really broad with this because I don't want to call anybody that I know and who I've helped out. But, like, I am also able to help people out on an individual basis with, with certain things. Mm -hmm. I'll just say that. Um, friends and family that um, I just, I'm, I'm really happy to be able to, to reach out and help them. And yeah, certainly I'm, I'm saving for retirement. I mean, that's, we used to get that question a lot. We don't get it too much anymore, but what well, is a minimalist? You, <laughs> don't you worry about retirement? It's like, yes. Like I <laughs> eventually like, yeah, you're going to have to have something uh, saved up. So uh, in fact, I, <laughs> you know, I was able to save more money like that first year after I left my job, I saved more money that year than I had like the entire, and I only made like 24,000 bucks that year. And it's, and it's because I was drowning in debt and I was, like I said in my talk, I was spending money faster than I was earning it. Oh, and this might be my pithy answer. Um, my secret to being financially secure mm -hmm. is I always spend less money than what I make. <laughs> That's solid. I, I want to apologize to the rest of the folks who are in line. I am uh, exactly two minutes over at this point, um, and I, I have a few other things to, to get to. You will get a hug in line, I promise. I'm so sorry that I, we're not able to get to your questions. But if you do call in, I promise we will get to it eventually. So there's someone crying in the back. She gave me the, the tears. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Um, but we do have to move on to the added value segment of the show. Usually, this is where Ryan and I recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. But uh, since we're in Cleveland, we might as well do something that's, that's local. Ryan, has anything added value to your life in Cleveland today? Have, have any of y'all ate at uh, Mabel's Barbecue? My God. I started eating meat like two years ago. Again? Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> If you haven't been, like, oh, it's so good. It's the brisket, the pork ribs, the, uh, what else we got? Like, the, gr the greens. I love me some, like, good, good, good cooked greens. And, yeah, they were, they were awesome. And the barbecue sauce they have on the table. And also, we had pigtail. We had pigtail and pig ears. <laughs> you got to be brave to try those guys. <laughs> and if you're vegan, they have pickles. Uh, so we are on the coffee house tour of, of North America. Ryan and I opened up a coffee house last year in St. Petersburg, Florida, and it's called Bandit. And we're always like looking for you know new ideas from different places and, and, and allowing other other places to shape our aesthetics and our palates. And uh, man, I was at an outstanding coffee house today. It's called Pour. 
And it's less than a mile from here. It's, uh, it was truly outstanding. So um, hopefully I'll be able to go back again before we head out tomorrow morning. Let's move on real quick to right here, right now. This is where Ryan and I talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. I've mentioned it once, but we're ending right now in Cleveland, the first leg of the Less Is Now tour, starting at the end of August. We're headed up to Canada. We are doing six or seven stops in Canada. Then we'll be in New York and Brooklyn and, and uh, Philadelphia. We'll be in Phoenix and Salt Lake City, and I'm going to try to go through all of these, see if you think I can do it. Um, Phoenix, Salt Lake City, Denver, Tampa, Atlanta, Nashville. Ooh, we're ending the tour in December in Milwaukee and Detroit. I was told that that's where you're supposed to be in December, (laughs) Detroit. Uh, No, but no, uh, uh, yeah, we are. We've never done a stop in Detroit, which is pretty awesome uh yeah we're headed a bunch of other cities as well i'm sure i i oh texas we're headed we're we're gonna go international (laughs) we'll be in austin and dallas and houston and i think there's a few other cities in there in there as well go to lessisnow.com find all the details of that check out the hashtag lessisnow for the photos folks are going to post tonight and from other nights also ryan and i uh this is where this is the part of the podcast where we usually spend a few minutes talking about all of our sponsors and advertisers right Man, Josh, I just got these underwear. It helps my sweaty butt. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan, don't you hate going to the post office? (laughs) Are you having trouble sleeping at night? (laughs) (laughs) Look, advertisements suck, y'all. And so speaking of of making money, um, we... We turned down a whole lot of money because we refused to do advertisements on this podcast because you all are inundated with about 5,000 advertisements a day. And we don't want to make it 5,001 or 5,003. And, and so let's not add to that, but we could use your help. Ryan and I want to do a lot more meaningful stuff with this podcast. We want to do longer episodes, shorter episodes. We want to do some interviews. We want to be able to continue to pay Podcast Sean a, a full-time living wage. I know his three children appreciate that. And uh, we also want to hire a full-time filmmaker because we saw how much the documentary resonated with folks. And we want to be able to create meaningful video creations. And so a video version of this podcast, but we also want to do video interviews. We want to do TV shows and web series all on our own. We don't want to have to be beholden to anyone else. And so we could really use your help. If you want to contribute to the cause... All you have to do is go to theminimalists.com, click on the donate button. We set up something called a Patreon page, which allows you to contribute on a per-episode basis. You can also cap that. So if Ryan and I decide to put out 100 episodes in one month or something, you, you, we're not going to charge you hundreds of dollars for our podcast. Uh, <laughs> but you can help us out because we don't want to clutter the podcast with any advertisements. And so what we're really looking to do is get to 5,000 patrons. We have uh, 3 million downloads a month plus. And so a very small percentage of those of you who can afford it can help out. We can really do something meaningful and we can change a lot by sharing this message in many ways to more people. So head on over to theminimalists.com and click on the donate button if you find value in this. We'd really, really appreciate that. And uh, before we head out, we'll, we'll be out there in about 20 minutes with um, books, which are, you, know, you can buy one if you want. If you, don't ha- if you didn't bring your wallet or you can't afford a book, Ryan and I will be happy to, to buy one for you. It's on us. And um, if, uh, if you do get a book, please minimize it afterward. 
find a library or a friend, family member, an enemy, <laughs> whomever, uh, you, you're welcome to pass it on after that. We'll also be out there with hugs and, uh, and taking pictures and all that fun stuff. Uh, before, we, before we leave, I want to say thanks to the House of Blues for having us here tonight. Yeah. This, this is Josh and I's like first legit tour where we show up and there's like a staff of people who just make everything happen and it's such an awesome staff here. Like we just, it's so nice to show up and just not have to worry about every single thing ourselves. Yeah, and, and so you all gave up a, an important resource tonight. You paid to be here and that allows us to pay the staff and the venue and and it's pretty expensive to, to have a place like that, and we're grateful. But it's even more expensive because you spent your two most precious resources. It's a different expense. It's your time and your attention. And those are non-renewable resources. And we're really grateful that you chose to spend that time with us. Yeah. Thank you. And so there's one last person I want to thank before we head out of here. And that person is you. If you leave here with one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thank you, Cleveland. Thanks, Hi, my name is Tara. I'm calling from Eugene, Oregon. And my comment is a tip for people playing the minimal minimalism game. When you're not dealing with things, are fairly straightforward to get rid of, but um, papers or things or to-do lists, and I found that uh, what they take up mostly is time, so the way I've been handling it is instead of doing one piece of paper, um, I do one minute and then build up to 30 minutes, and uh, that's a good way of, of limiting the time that you're spending on those piles of papers but uh, eventually getting through them. So instead of one paper each day, then two, then three, it's one minute, two minutes, um, working your way up to 29 and 30 and 31 minutes. All right, bye. Hi, this is Katie from Glen Ellen, Illinois, on how not to get seduced by new shiny things and then feeling guilty about buying them. I also have a problem with getting really excited about new shiny things. And what has really helped me reduce those impulse purchases is when I see something new and shiny, my immediate reaction is, yes, I want to buy this. Instead of throwing it in the basket or shopping cart, I will physically carry it in my hands while I continue to walk around the store and shop. This does two things. Number one, it helps me understand the physical bulk this thing will take up in my life if I buy it. It makes the idea of the true cost of living with this item much more tangible. And number two, by the time I'm done walking around the store, the initial high of wanting and then holding this new shiny thing has worn off. Carrying the item around in the store essentially tricks my impulse-motivated brain into thinking that I have purchased this item and the impulse has been satisfied without having to actually buy it. I have appreciated the object as much as was possible, and then I moved on. Remember, uh, it's, you can appreciate something without having to buy it or own it. 
and that has helped me immensely with impulse purchases. Thanks. Bye. My name is Tristan Wright. I'm calling from Melbourne, Florida. Um, Ryan's comment about wanting to talk about the environment without being negative resonated with me. I have increasing concerns myself, and I'm changing and adapting, and part of me keeps this to myself so I don't come across as a self-righteous do-gooder on one hand. And then on the other hand, I don't like to bring it up because I don't want to be criticized when my efforts are less than perfect. One of the easiest and best things that my husband and I have done to affect change in our children is to take them to the dump. I know that that's really funny, but when they see and smell and experience the trash, it makes such a huge impact on them. Uh, the questions that follow have been really good, and it creates an ongoing conversation that leads to a lot of <laughs> different rabbit trails, but the virtues of just eating an apple rather than having applesauce packets. And it leads the conversation also into appreciating the mangoes that the neighbor gave you because they didn't even have to come in a truck from across the United States. Um, so we've been able to create these conversations, and it's been a really good thing for our family to help align with our simple lifestyle it's the perfect opportunity to explain why we choose the best things that our money can buy, the fewest amount uh, that we can or the smallest amount that we can, and why we keep those things and we don't just constantly change and dispose of, of, of things that have value. And I'm talking about things like couches and mattresses. We try and be intentional with our purchases. It's hard to think of things being easily disposed of when you witness the stacks of mattresses and couches and the birds pecking at them and you see that firsthand and it makes such a huge impact um, on me as an adult, but specifically the kids. Thanks, guys, for what you do. Love it. Hey everybody, it's Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Now, I was just looking up the dates for the second leg of the Less Is Now tour. So, so Ryan and I, we are in the middle of this crazy 40 city tour. We're doing a live talk about minimalism, an in-depth talk about minimalism. We're also recording a live version of the Minimalist podcast. We're answering a bunch of your questions in person. And, uh, oh yeah, and we dish out a bunch of free hugs afterward. Optional hugs. Yes, yeah, yeah. We do hand hugs too, if, they, yeah. if that's your thing. Whatever <laughs> you like, we were looking forward to seeing you on the road. You can head on over to lessisnow.com. But here's the cities that we're coming to for the second leg of this 40 city tour. We're gonna be in Canada again. Oh man, I can't wait, I love Canada. We're gonna be in Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. But then we're headed to the east coast of the United States. We're gonna be in Philadelphia. We'll be in Manhattan and Brooklyn, two stops in New York wow. City. Wow, dude, you know, we've made it. <laughs> well, we've, we've never had a stop in Brooklyn, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll be in Salt Lake City, Denver, and Phoenix, heading over to the mountains. And then we're touring internationally. We'll be in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, we're going to be in Austin and Dallas and Houston, and then Nashville, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, and Tampa. We're finishing off with the South. Almost, but then there's no better place to spend December than in Detroit and Milwaukee. Wait, who told you that? 
<laughs> our booking agent. Oh, perfect. Yeah, so we're going to be in Detroit and Milwaukee. That's where we're going to finish the Less Is Now tour this year. Head on over to lessisnow.com. You can get your tickets. You can find the dates, the theaters, and you can see us soon. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for, and you gotta grab, oh I bet that you'll be fine without it. So take your eyes away, or take your eyes away.